Turn your Bibles again to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll just focus our attention this afternoon for a few minutes on verse 23. So I'll begin reading in verse 20 again. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime or formerly alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable provable in His sight, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. If... Now, Paul seems to trouble us a bit, what seemed to be sure and secure and steadfast. Now, Paul introduces a conditional statement. If you continue, conditional statement just means something is true if these conditions are met. What would be true? Your current reconciliation and your future expectation of a divine presentation with Christ is true if you persevere in the faith and if you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Proven reconciliation. Our reconciliation is not secure by continuing and not being moved. It is demonstrated and proven if these conditions are met. Now the good news is, we'll look at, is the condition first is all of grace. Grace meets every condition necessary for the reconciliation of sinners and for the perseverance of those sinners all the way to glory. You can see that in the verb grounded. The word grounded is a perfect passive Plural verb. Perfect. There's a moment in time. You ought to be able to finish the, the sentence at this point. I've called this my, my favorite tense in the Greek. In a moment in time, something happened so decisive that it will never ever in your existence ever be repeated. One time event. The impact will be ongoing, but the event is one time and one time only. Passive. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Passive verbs mean somebody else did it. We've called this the divine passive. God has decisively met the condition. Not only for your reconciliation and redemption through the blood of Christ, but your perseverance and continuing by faith and not being moved totally nor finally from Jesus Christ. That is good news. Now you see this again when Paul begins to unpack in chapter 2 more details 
about what the problem is at the church at Colossae with false teachers who were suggesting with a kind of elitism that there's some knowledge, there's some things you need to know that's beyond the sufficiency of Christ, which is why Paul is using words like fullness, complete, knowing, knowledge, because they were suggesting that if you come to this level, the gospel's good, but if you can get here, that's really where the good stuff is happening. So Paul is making everything central in Jesus Christ. So when he begins to unpack more in Colossians 2, 6, he would say this, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Rooted, grounded, both are perfect passives. Having been rooted, having been grounded, something again happened when you were rooted and grounded that is once for all. It's done, it's over. It's never going to happen again. Now Paul tells us in verse 7 of Colossians 2 what it is. Having been rooted... And being built, present passive, God rooted you, God is going to do the building. And then he says, in Him, in Christ. Having been rooted and grounded in Christ, you have been, by the divine act of God and second birth, rooted, grounded, united to Christ so decisively that not a devil of hell can ever pluck you out of His hands. Grace has met all conditions, not only for your salvation now, but for future glory and every step along the way. Jesus Himself will make this clear in the Gospel of John when He wants to assure us that what He does and what He provides is permanent. When He would say in John 6.37, All that the Father giveth to me, And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I will never, no, never cast out. Why? On what basis? For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, which means what? This is the Father's will that sent me. Your salvation, your security is just as sure as God's divine sovereign will. And what is the will of God concerning Christ? That all that He hath given me, I should lose nothing. Translated, no, not one. He will not lose one. But will raise them up. Who? All that have been given will be so secured by the blood of Christ and united to Him by faith that from that moment until their final victory at the divine presentation, not one of them will be lost. John 10.27 My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They follow Him. He knows them. They know Him. No man is able to pluck them out of my hand. They shall never perish, Jesus says. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father... And I are one. The Father has given into the hands of the Son His bride that we sang about. From heaven He came and sought her to be His only bride. With His own blood He bought her. 
and he secured everything necessary, everything necessary to get his bride all the way to heaven where he is, even her perseverance in faith. No one is able to pluck you out of the hands of God. You will never perish. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him shall never perish but have everlasting life. Jesus in John 10 says they will never perish which means what? They will never stop believing in Jesus Christ. Ever. Not totally. Not finally. Because we have been rooted, grounded in Him. United with a security that is so strong that nothing can break it. Not even something God Himself would do could break it. Because He's committed Himself by the blood of Christ never to break such a bond. This is the foundation of what Paul is saying in verse 23. The saints will continue and they will not be moved away in a final decisive way. Now, why do we say it that way? Because you know we are moved at times. We can be moved. But because of grace, grace has met the condition, Christ is in you, and God's providence is over you, His love, the love we talked about this morning, will not let you go. Now, beloved, that is a soft pillow to lay your head on at night. It's not the the, the pillow of complacency, the pillow of inactivity, but it's a solid place to be grounded and settled. Because if my grounding and my settling has to meet the condition of continuing on my own, then it's all over for me. And you know what? It's all over for you. You will not make it to glory because the devils of hell are stronger than you are. But thanks be to God, He's met the condition. Now, that's the passive perfect Now, we need to look at the active voice. There's always an active voice based on the conditions of grace and what God has done. Now that grace is supplying in such a way that your reconciliation is proven. That is, this having been grounded, settled, rooted, united to Christ is proven by your activity. And then these things come together. If you continue is the active voice. So that means what? You must continue. And your continuing proves that grace is supplying, you've been grounded, and that you're going to be presented one day, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. Because in fact, you are holy positionally. You are unblameable, and you are unimpeachable by the grace of God. That reality is proven when the conditions of grace are met, and we keep holding on the way. The righteous shall hold on their way, and shall shine brighter and brighter unto the coming day. It's a proverb. I can't give you the chapter and the verse, but you can look that up. The righteous shall hold on their way. Not without sin they won't hold, but they will hold being united to Christ. So let's talk a few minutes about the active voice, because that's what we want to prove in our lives. The active voice of the passive grace, or the active grace that comes to us passively initially, and then it keeps coming to us through the activity of faith. So what is Paul, the first thing he says about continuing and not being moved? Verse 23. 
which you have heard. Aorist tense, which means a moment in the time in the past that keeps going. How is it that we continue? How is it the grace sustains? How is it the grace comes to us by faith when we keep hearing something? We keep hearing something. It's the way we hear what we've heard and keep hearing that is the means which by God's grace keeps coming and sustaining us. The grace of perseverance is not grace that is neutral. It's not grace in your passivity. It's grace that's coming to you that is expressing itself in your active hearing. That's active voice, hearing. And your persevering. That's active voice. That's how we know that God's grace is sustaining us because it's producing something in our lives by hearing so that we're not moved. The word moved is passive, and all that means is this. Somebody is trying to move you. And here it's not God, of course. He's the one keeping you. There are forces at work that are trying to move you away from your hope. And if they move us away from our hope so that we're no longer continuing because we're no longer hearing in a certain way what's happening, are we moving back to our alienation and enmity in our minds? The word received in Colossians 2.6, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, means to receive something by oral transmission. They were taught something. As we keep hearing the gospel and the truth of God, grace is sustaining us by that means, and we're not moved and we continue. Without it, we are going to be moved. I hate it when people move away. That's just something I don't like. makes me sad. 25 years of ministry, I've seen people move in and move out. Sometimes they move out for a good reason. Sometimes they move out for a bad reason. But it's inevitable. It's inevitable. This kind of movement is dangerous for your soul. It's moving away from hope, which means you're moving away from grace, which means you and I need to be aware when that's happening. Or else we conclude, well, that can't happen to me. Well, Paul's wasting his pen, right? It can happen. What's threatening the Colossian church called Gnosticism? This knowledge I talked about. Verse 8 of Colossians 2. Beware, be on guard. Lest any man spoil you or take you captive. What's happening? They move you away from your hope. Through philosophy, love of wisdom, love of knowledge, vain deceit, traditions and the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They're not moving you toward Christ. These false teachers are moving you away from Christ. And of course, there are all kinds of ways that the devil and the demonic world is trying to move Christians away from their hope by deceiving them into thinking something else can deliver on their expectation for being fully satisfied. And having pleasure. 
We fall prey to that regularly, don't we? Who can say, my hope has never been shaken. I've never had a moment where I didn't bite into the sweet fruit of something in the world that was forbidden or something even God allows, but it was too sweet and moved me away from my expectation and my hope in God. It's deception. It's a lie. When we can understand the lies behind it, deception, it'll help us beware, as Paul says. And what does Paul bring in? For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete. If you're complete in Christ, you don't need anything else. Don't be moved by a would-be Messiah. And what is a would-be Messiah? A Messiah that promises you something in the world that God never promised, as if it's designed to take the place of the real Messiah. The real Messiah is going to deliver on every expectation you have ever had for joy. He is going to do it. Don't be moved from the hope of the gospel. Stay in God's redeeming grace. How? By hearing. See, Paul really gives three arguments for continuing. You've heard it's been preached to every creature. He's not saying every single person. It's gone all over the world, which he's saying what? There's no other gospel, which the Colossian church was being threatened by what? Believing another gospel. This same gospel is being preached in every church all over the world, so quit being duped by some other new revelation. If that which you've heard from the beginning shall abide in you, this is the promise of that abiding, eternal life. Let that which abides abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. What's John saying in 1 John 2? The gospel you heard from the beginning, don't move past it. Don't move to elitism. Don't go to something else. Stay with the gospel. Stay with the truth. And what happens? You're continuing in grace and you're not being moved from your hope But the ongoing result of having been grounded and rooted is what? You're being stable. You're abiding. You're remaining. And you're not moving away from hope in Jesus. Look at this and we'll connect hearing in verse 4 of chapter 1 where Paul says he's praying for the church at Colossae. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. Again, every creature under heaven. What's Paul saying? It's just gone out all over the Roman world. And it did. It had gone out all over the Roman world. And what's that gospel doing that you've heard? It is bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard it. If perseverance is persevering in faith, and as soon as you say faith, you said what? Fruit. And you said holiness. Well, no, I didn't say that. Faith is proven by what it produces. If faith doesn't produce love, the Bible calls it into question. So when we say persevering in faith, that faith is going to continue doing what? Producing fruit. How was the fruit continuing to come since the day they heard it to the day Paul penned this letter? Hearing. 
since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Now they may have heard the gospel before that day. They may have heard it like I had heard it countless times until the day came where I heard the grace of God truly. It was truth when I heard it not truly. Something changed. I heard it truly. The word know is epignosco. There's that prefix that intensifies and takes one-dimensional knowing to three-dimensional knowing. You know, three dimensions is when you're participating. You're, you're kind of in the movie. You're experiencing it. There's some depth there rather than flatline. It's just kind of there on a piece of paper, right? Like, I, I, I know how to grill salmon. I'm pretty good at it. I've got a process, and I've, I've got these ingredients. I know the temperature should be. I know how to long to leave it there, and texture, and thermometer. I know how to grill salmon. You know how to grill things, right? But you don't know salmon until you put it in your mouth and you taste it. Then salmon. I probably should have used something else. Some of you are thinking, I don't even like salmon. It's really good. See, one-dimensional flatline knowledge is, I know the grace of God. How do you know? Well, it means unmerited favor. It means God saves us. You don't save yourself. It means you don't work for your salvation. It means you don't earn it. it means it's a gift of God. In fact, I can quote Ephesians 2 8. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I know it. That's one line, flat dimensional knowledge. They heard, and it became three dimensional. And they knew it in their souls. And now they tasted the grace of God. How did they taste it? By hearing. We need to keep hearing in a way that we're tasting something. Or we'll be moved. And you know what will move you and me? The taste of something sweeter. Be not deceived, beloved. Sin is sweet, is it not? Does that offend you? That's what the Bible says. But the sweetness of sin is about this long. Only when we have found something sweeter, the grace of God truly, experientially, do we have the power to hold on our way. 1 Peter 2.2 2, Desire the sincere milk of the Word like newborn babes that you may grow thereby if so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now if we're talking about the Word we're, we're talking about hearing. So the desire is stirred by hearing the Word and hearing it what did Peter say? We're tasting the grace of God. And then by tasting it to whom coming? Where are we going? To Jesus Christ, the living stone. And then by tasting and knowing Christ that way as living stone, we're gathering as living stones. And what are we doing? We're being built up. If you see a church, meaning this one, who's no longer being built up, rest assured, me and everybody here has lost our taste buds for Christ. You can only do something by duty so long. Only so long. And we're going to bolt. 
Now, there are a lot of times when I do things out of a sense of duty, and I don't feel like it, and that's good, but that's not going to sustain my soul. We need to hear in a way that we taste something. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Which means what? Hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. It's the hearing of faith in Galatians 3, 2. So Paul is decisively saying, grace has planted you and united you to Christ. Grace has planted the law of God in your heart. Grace will sustain you, and that grace comes to you by hearing the glories of the supreme Christ that we've been talking about. And only by hearing do we produce fruit that then does what? Keeps us from moving away from the hope and keeps us moving onward to glory. The fruit doesn't do it, right? Now you can get off track quick there. Okay, I just need to bear fruit. Let's go bear some fruit because he says that's going to keep me. It's not. The fruit is, a, is an outflow of union. So we need to know him. You say that almost seems like an impossible task. It's not almost, it is. Which is why Paul so often breaks out in prayer. He understands his own theology. He says, this is why I'm praying for you. Because to have this experience with Christ, we need to ask Him for it. Ask Him. He's going to bring it. Ask Him. Pray. Lord, stir my affections for You. Help me to taste You again like I once did. I'm just confessing, God. I'm dry. I've lost my taste. I'm just being real. I'm crying out to You. God wants you to do that. Anything else is hypocrisy. I'm faking it. And God said, why are you faking it? I know, I know what you're thinking. So tell Him. I need you. I need your help. Preaching is dry. Ministry is dry. Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he's going to come in his time and purpose. He's going to come. So we need to hear in such a way that it's producing fruit. And this hearing is knowing grace in such a way that the knowing is tasting, seeing, delighting, enjoying, and loving. Now when we say perseverance, that's That's ebb and flow. We get it. It's not always crescendo. Sometimes it's valley. But it keeps going. So the grace of God that comes to us to sustain us, to awaken us and so decisively root us to Christ, is then going to come to us through that union as we see Him and know Him and seek to understand Him. And so we come back to the Word. The Word is the centerpiece, it must be, of this church. For everything we do is hanging on the Word of the Gospel and the Word of God's promises, which sustain hope because we know in heaven, that's where our treasure lies, verse 5, because of the hope laid up in heaven for you. So even when it's difficult and hard and joy seems to be waning, we've got joy set in front of us. So we can endure the cross, despising the shame like Jesus had joy set before Him. So it's sure, it's steadfast, and we hear about the joys of heaven and the faithfulness of our God and the promises, and we hear them and know them and experience them by the Spirit. What's He doing? Grace is sustaining. Grace is causing our perseverance. 
Grace is producing fruit as we actively continue here and do what God says. Secondly, this grace where it meets the conditions of uniting us to Christ and then is with us all the way to meet the conditions as we rely upon it and as we trust in God and His Word and move forward is also going to come through the body. Now, in these verbs, in verse 23, they are all plural verbs. Continue is a present plural verb. Grounded is a perfect passive plural verb. Moved is a passive plural verb. Heard is a plural verb. I thought hearing was about me. I just need to hear. I mean, if, if, if I'm going to have my assurance and the proof that I've been reconciled, I need to hear, and that's true. But the body needs to hear. God always brings before our minds in Scripture that salvation is not a singular, isolated event. It's a group thing. It's a church thing. The bride that He came to seek is called the church. His body. And He aims to get the whole church. Not just a few of them. Or not 99%. And so He will have His bride. So what are the implications then of continuing and not being moved in a plural sense of the word? And we see this over and over again in the Bible that when we again talk about one another passages there's a responsibility we have to one another that we're staying together and continuing together. We are running our race together, Hebrews 12 says. Those are plural verbs also. The book of Hebrews is let us, let us, let us continue, hold fast together. Let us exhort one another. All these words are indicating we have a responsibility because God is not only supplying grace for us, He's supplying grace that goes horizontally that helps us keep going and not being moved away from the hope of the gospel. And so we are to connect, to love, to support, to minister to one another, because if not, we're going to be moving back towards the mindset we once had. Now, if I could just illustrate this with a a visible illustration, and I'll I'll just stand over here to do it, uh, concerning the body, is, is this. I could have pulled a muscle. Or this. My wife is mortified. I've never done anything like that in 25 years. Okay, what, 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 what part of the body was I not using? Just what part of the body did I not use to, to do that? Some less than others, but the whole body was engaged. On what basis? My head communicated by desire and will to my body what I wanted it to do. Christ is the head of the church. You're the body. These are plural verbs. What is Paul saying? When the head is going to, by grace, preserve the body, he's using all the joints and bands to communicate that preserving grace. Colossians 2.19, not holding the head, these false teachers, 
who have a false humility, humility are not holding on to the head, which by implication, Colossi Church, you need to be holding on to the head, from whom the whole body, that's the church, every part of the body, by joints and bands, ligaments and joints, joints of the body is what holds two or more bones together, right? By joints and bands have nourishment ministered. So the ministry or the nourishment is what? Grace is being ministered throughout the body through the joints and bands and being knit together. Colossians 2.2 says that's a knit together in love maketh increase of the body. It builds itself up in love. Now how is that happening? Grace is being communicated and ministered through the joints and bands for which you are a joint and a band. God's aim, in part, is to help us continue and not be moved through the plurality of the body. What does that say, then, for our fellowship and interaction together as a body? What are the implications for that interaction and how we're to minister and help one another? When somebody's being moved from the gospel, what starts to happen? The fruit bearing ceases. The day they heard it, to that day fruit was coming. What happens when you move away from the hope? Fruit stops. Colossians 1, 9-11, the knowledge of God is no longer increasing. That was Paul was praying for. Increasing in the knowledge of God, that stops. It halts. Colossians 2, start being moved by philosophies and teaching and thrilling things away from the hope of the gospel. No longer continuing. What happens next? The mortification of sin. In Colossians 3, 4, stops. Sin encroaches. No longer killing sin. No longer interested in killing sin. Sin becomes welcome. Which is sexual impurities, covetousness, words are expressions of sin in Colossians 3. What happens next? Breakdown in relationships. Marriage begins to break down. Church relationships begin to break down. Church responsibility begins to break down. Family relationship begins to crumble. Now, if, if you're in any of those cases, doesn't mean the fault is on you. I'm, I'm telling you what the Bible says about such relationships. Colossians 3 to, the, to Colossians 4, relationships. When Christ is not having His place, relationships begin to crumble. Because something else has moved us and our hope is shifted. So church life with one another, it doesn't just quit. I mean, I keep coming, maybe I even keep preaching, but I don't really have any time for you. Because there's a far more thrilling things to do, isn't there, than to spend time with you people and vice versa. That's the hypothetical of what Paul is dealing with here. So the body... Plural, Paul is saying the body connected to the head then begins to supply and minister in ways 
that's not just activity, right? You know, a lot of our American Christianity, and we get caught up in the same mindset. Well, we need to do an activity. Let's do something. Let's get together and do something. Okay, that can be meaningful, and that can be fruit-bearing. But there's another facet to it that sometimes we forget. is not just the, the service of the saints, but the struggling of the saints. Is anyone here not being tempted to move from the hope of the gospel? Is anybody here struggling with sexual sin and temptation? I mean, what do we do with those people, right? Are they not part of the body? See, if all we do is get together to have an activity just to connect with people, and we're not also addressing the issue of struggling saints, for which all of us fall into that category. Anybody had any marriage struggles? All of us at some point in time have strains that touch us that could tempt us to move away. And if not physically, mentally and spiritually, we bolt from the relationship. But we still smile and put on a front. How do we connect in such a way? Well, we're present, we're available, and we're remembering that part of life in the body is not just the activity where everybody's smiling and we're learning something about God, but there's those times when we have an atmosphere, an environment that is conducive for somebody to say, I just need to tell you, I've done something terrible. I've been captured in a sin and I cannot get out. I need help. The body, maybe just one or two, wherever it is, moves in to help. Why? Because our reconciliation is proven when we hold and we're not moved. We admit all of us can be moved. And maybe somebody here this morning has been moved drastically. Well, you need help. We all need help. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, Together as a church, plural, warn the unruly. Who is that? person out of step like a soldier they're not in step with the people marching now they're marching there but they're out of step so unruly is not just some really bad thing they're out of step with the body they're 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 out of step they're not marching with them so warn them now that word didn't mean you know what are you doing it's a word that means admonish put into the mind Brother, sister, you're out of step. What's going on? Is something wrong? I've noticed like you're, you're way out of step. What we do most of the time is just ignore it. I mean, I, you know he is. You know it. You know I am. It's none of my business. The body is helping. Because if you're out of step, then you may get further out of step and further out of step. And that's dangerous. So as part of this body, you're saying, I'm willing for you to tell me when I'm out of step. Please tell me. I may not take it initially good, but keep working with me. And I'm willing to bring that to you because I've been given that right from God. And I've got to deal with all my fears and all my anxieties about that meeting because I hate it, frankly. And if you love it, you got a problem. <laughs> just frankly, if you really like it, I don't want to talk to you, but just go to somebody else, right? 
It's necessary because we can be moved. Warn the unruly. Support the faint-hearted. Somebody's doubting. Somebody's low. Somebody's about to check out. Somebody's hurting so bad. Somebody's in a valley and they're just like, I'm just, I got to leave. Would you know it? A disconnected body would never know it. And some people are good at hiding it. Sometimes you can be shocked. It's like they just seem so fine. and never said anything and I had conversation with them. So there's a responsibility both ways. But a church that's interacting together is more likely to know it and sense something. You know, your countenance has fallen. You're out of step. Something's not right. Is there, is there something going on I should know? Unruly, faint-hearted, weak. Help the weak. The weak there means someone that's confused about God's Word and not sure about how to apply a Scripture, or not sure if this is the standard God wants or this wants, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just weak on what to do here. So we need that kind of activity in the church. Those three words are more likely to produce the movement away from the gospel, right? That we need to be discerning as well. And we need to be open. When a church is really healthy, I think it's an environment where people can trust people, at least somebody, where they can say to them, I'm really hurting and struggling and I just feel like I want to bolt from God. You need to be able to handle that. You need to be able to hear sin and be real with it because the Bible is real with it. And then what God, what God expects us to do is to be the body by joints and bands. We're supplying not only the activity of growth, but the activity of keeping. Because God's grace, the grace that we all need, is going to be ministered through the body in such a way that as we interact and get to know each other, these things will start happening. They'll just start happening. You'll trust, and when you know you need help from a brother or sister, it'll be there. And we may have to fumble through it, right? There are things that are not so easy to deal with. But the point I'm making is the continuation in grace and not being moved with the gospel, God's grace supplies. He supplies it through hearing of the word. As we hear, God sustains it. So keep hearing, keep going to God's word, and keep praying, and then through the body. He's the head of the church, which is his body. Plural, plural, plural verbs. May we pray that God would bless us to be such a church because without prayer, it'll never happen. Without prayer, we'll never grow into being that kind of church, which I think we're growing into being that kind of church. But we need prayer. So let's pray. Father, we call upon your great name. We can feel the weight of our weaknesses at this moment. I feel the, the weight of my inability, my fears, my procrastination, the ways in which I succumb to my old nature and let it rule over me. And how, Lord, by your grace and confidence in your word and who you are, I and this body can move forward with confidence, resting in what you say, being the kind of body that is interacting by joints and bands, that's speaking the truth in love, truth that edifies, truth that encourages, truth that warns, truth that corrects, truth that encourages. Lord, help us to be this church that does such a thing. 
Help us to get past our superficiality and be real uh, when the occasion calls for it. Help us to be trustworthy to one another so that we know that if we share a vulnerability or a sin issue with a brother or sister, we can trust them to pray and to minister the word and pray, Lord, that we would all find someone and know someone in this church that we could do that with. So, Lord, we're just asking you to make us what you call us to be. May your grace that awakens us and sustains us may be the grace that causes us to continue through the means of exhortation, love, truth, and all the ways you call us to be a body. And Lord, may you have all the glory for any help. The comfort that we receive is the comfort of God. The help that we receive from one another is the help of God. And may you get all the glory and may Christ be seen as supreme in reconciliation. In Jesus' name.